Hey, you've connected in with the Mountain Park Church Podcast. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are in our second last week in this series we've called Foundations. So for the three of you that have been tracking with us this whole time, we're almost done. We're almost at the end of the road. Again, um, the beating heart of our church, the mandate of our church, our focus and passion is to ignite a deep hunger and longing for Jesus in your life. That is the thing that we are most interested in and the thing which we feel called to have a part in provoking in you. And um, there's nothing, there's nothing that can replace the presence and power and authority and life of Jesus in us. And our call to you, our challenge to you is to continue to cultivate attention toward him and space for him in your life, to continue to cultivate the reality of his presence and kingdom in your life. Today, we are talking through some more of the spiritual gifts. And just before I pass you on to the message that I preached live a few days ago here in Niagara, I wanna let you know that there are some things that I feel the need to clarify at the end as I was speaking on the gift of teaching and its relationship to scripture. So I just wanna be doubly, triply, quadruply sure that you get my heart and what I intended to say. Didn't actually mean to say all that I was saying. So I feel like uh, because I hadn't sort of walked through in preparation on exactly what I wanted to say, there are some things I need to clarify. So stick around at the end and I will clear some things up. Okay, here we go. This is the last, no, 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 second to last in this series called Foundations. We are, like I said, winding down this um, series we've been in called Foundations. And I think what we're going to do, because we're already a little bit behind, we're going to split today's into two, so we'll finish next week. But um, this is really good because, as we've been saying all along, Paul's teaching on what we call the spiritual gifts or gifts of grace, I want to just stop there for a moment. Often, we have trouble uh, even with that word grace because it's been almost exclusively used to talk about a salvific reality, the salvation of Jesus. And of course, it's nothing less than that. But I want to give you a definition of grace that would tie it into the way the Holy Spirit works in our lives in a tangible way. God's grace in your life and my life is not only the ability for Jesus to save us and reunite us with God. God's grace is God at work in ways you and I don't deserve with power we don't have. 
The reason these are called grace gifts by Paul, I think, I don't want to totally speak for him, but I think the reason they're called grace gifts is because these are the manifestations of the very presence and nature of God at work in your life in ways you can't earn, ways you don't deserve, and the source of them is power that's not yours. That's why they're called grace gifts, because this is the reality of God manifesting his nature and his presence in the life of the body in ways we can't work for. We can't earn them. We don't deserve them. The people that operate in some of the power gifts, like we've been saying, there's no correlation between the power of God that's released through somebody's life and their spiritual maturity or their character. These are a grace gift because through uh, the means of God in ways we can't earn or deserve, he shows up in power sometimes and does things that we haven't worked for, that we have no right to claim, that we carry no maturity for. And he shows up with power that's not ours, it's his. Remember a number of weeks ago, what Rob said when he's here, and we, we keep, I, I'm just going to continue to steal it. When Jesus comes, he brings the kingdom. When we show up, nothing. So the reason God has given these what we call spiritual gifts, or like I've been mentioning, the broader category, I think, from Paul are manifestations, meaning these are the evidences. These are the ways we see and recognize the the nature and spirit and character of God at work in the life of the church. The reason that he does it is so that he can strengthen and equip and build up the body together with power that we don't possess on our own. Things we can't conjure up with human skill or ingenuity or things like that. And so these gifts, again, are not things that a far-off God puts on a shelf. It's not elf on the shelf for you to just kind of grab and move around or take whenever I feel like it. Like, oh, I feel like using the gift of healing right now. I'll just go ahead and do that. That's not your gift and it's not your power to use. So these gifts are not things. They're actually in their most basic sense, the very presence of God himself and they're the ways that he loves to express himself within the church body. Some of you this morning, as we were just praying and ministering for each other, some of you had like a deeper than sort of usual, just kind of tearing in your heart for the brokenness of the person you were praying for. There was like this deeper than human, like, cry for them. That could be actually the ministry of the Holy Spirit through mercy. Mercy. 
So these aren't things that we possess that we just kind of turn on and off at will and are just ours to kind of yield. These are just the evidences of God's presence at work within us. Um, Romans 12, 6 to 8. We'll just read this really quickly. And this is Paul's writing to the house churches in Rome. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So um, again, just as a reminder, not one of these passages from Paul is meant to be a systematic, comprehensive theology on all of the expressions of the nature of God through the life of the church. These are responses that Paul is writing back to the church who's like, hey, we're in trouble here. We've got stuff going on that is out of whack and it's not balanced and we don't know how to deal with this or that. And so Paul here is not offering a, a conclusive systematic theology. He's just responding to the real life stuff they're walking through. And there's this mixture even in here of these kind of different categories. Paul doesn't use categories but sometimes we do very loosely just to help. So we're, we're kind of operating in three different categories when it comes to these different gifts. And again, these categories are just ways for us to kind of create some thinking around the, the totality of how God operates. So I want to show you these categories here. The first category, and we've covered these ones, are the expression of God's nature and character through power, through his capacity to supernaturally intervene with healing, with the miraculous, intervene over the laws of nature and other things. Wes, can you throw that one up? So that's... God's power, if we, if we were going to use a biblical kind of concept or idea, it would be the hand of God at work. Often in Scripture, it's the right hand of God is the symbol for his power. And sometimes we experience the reality of God's presence through the power that comes with his kingdom and his name. And his desire is that in the scheme of the whole body, that some of us be operating in some of these areas as expressions of his very nature. The second category are the manifestations or expressions of his love. You could say very loosely, that's his heart. These are the tangible ways that God enters into the reality of life with us. And God has supernaturally filled some of you with a greater capacity to serve or minister or show kindness or mercy or give. Some of you just carry this capacity to do that that is not normal for everyone. You may think it's normal, 
And one of the ways that you can begin to figure out, like, God, are there some ways that you typically would tend to express yourself through me? If you're able to enter into some of these things for a prolonged, sustained period of time without getting jaded and angry and frustrated and without needing the attention redirected to you in order to validate you, then that could be an area of gifting. If we are entering into some of these things, which we need to do, all of us need to help and serve and love and show kindness and mercy. We all do. But some of us need to recognize where our healthy boundaries are with that. And when we start to veer off into frustration or bitterness or resentment or anger or disappointment, that's a good indicator. Hey, I need to like just back off this a little bit here. Because this is actually producing something that's contrary to the very kingdom in my heart. So if you're serving out in the parking lot and you start being like, you, you, you have this growing temptation to just chuck stones at the cars as they're driving away, I'll just kindly ask you to try a different volunteer position here. <laughs> if you're annoyed by the people who fly in here at Mach 100 and... You know, somebody was spinning their tires in one of the last youth nights, and I had just, like, we had just finished raking everything. It was so beautiful, and I was like, I can't believe you're doing Anyway, God dealt with my heart on that too. But in this third category, manifestations of God's word or his mind, these are the things that we're talking about today that clarify his nature and his actions and his purposes. So none of these things are on a hierarchy. You may be operating in different combinations of a whole bunch of stuff. I actually think the more faithful we show ourselves to be with the Holy Spirit's presence in our life, the more he allows us to minister on his behalf. Scripture says that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit beyond measure. You're not, I'm not, but he was. He carried a supernatural capacity in every one of these spaces. But you and I, um, in our life, carry maybe a handful of them. You won't know and I won't know until we start actually trying and testing some things. So let's look at a couple practical ones just today to kind of uh, move our way through. So in terms of the word manifestations, the first one I want to just tackle that Paul talks about is a gift of exhortation or encouragement. And I have a definition here for you. Again, I'm super thankful to John Thompson at Sanctus Church in Ajax. His writing on this has been really helpful for me to try and sort of synthesize some of these thoughts. And so uh, a lot of these definitions are from his book, Convergence. Um, so, Believers with this gift call others' attention to Scripture, urge fellow disciples to keep going in the faith, and come alongside the discouraged and defeated with direction from God's Word that will help them get moving again. There's kind of three categories, and these are from John. I'm not sure if he's the original to him, but... The three ways this gift comes alive are to, number one, correct or gently, in gentleness, bring correction. 
So this isn't, I'm super annoyed with you right now and I'm just going to give you a piece of my mind. This is like, hey, I think we need to just kind of get back onto the road because you're off in a ditch here. And because I love you, I want to just bring attention to this in gentleness. The second area would be to encourage. Some of you, more than others, just have a natural wiring to encourage. Like your default disposition is like, hey, I just want to speak life over you. Some of you have the opposite of that gift. (laughs) You have the gift of criticism. That's not a spiritual gift, by the way. (laughs) But some of you just naturally have the capacity, even when it's hard, to just redirect toward life. And especially in the middle of tricky, hard things, your your bent is to actually want to build up and support and sustain, not tear down and discourage. The third area is comfort. That's what we were doing this morning. It's just being present and with someone. So Paul is saying, in no less ways are these the evidence, the manifestations of the Spirit's presence and activity. When we're doing these things, we're actually walking consistent with the Holy Spirit's presence. These are the kinds of things he himself does and wants to do. Jesus called the Holy Spirit our counselor. It's the same root word. The Holy Spirit's role is to encourage and to strengthen and to comfort. Scripture calls God the God of all comfort. So when we step into that place, we're literally doing the very things that God himself gives attention to do. This gift is not... um, a desire to enter into sort of self-help, therapeutic relationships with people. This is not a rescuing gift. Some of you um, are wired to have more of a heart to rescue. And often when we're walking in that, the attention is on us and what we think should happen or what we think will happen next or what we, you know, our wisdom and our counsel and our sort of like, here's what you should do and let me walk you through this. That's not what this is. This is constantly redirecting people to Jesus. The attention here is not on our capacity to soothe or our words to uh, exhort or encourage the, the attention here is on the presence of Jesus. I'm learning in these areas to shut up more and just be present and allow the Holy Spirit to work. So for some of you that may have a tendency to want to rescue or save people or just you're, you're just wired, you really want to help, what you need to learn to do is to actually talk less and be a conduit for the Spirit to speak and do what He just wants to do. So when people are operating in this gift, they're always drawing attention back to Scripture and back to Jesus and His presence, not on their ability to help someone through a tough spot. 
The next gift um, that we want to just talk through um, is, comes out of 1 Corinthians 12, 27 and 28. We've read this uh, umpteen times. We'll just quickly read it again. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Here are some of the parts God has appointed for the church. First are apostles, second are prophets, third are teachers, then those who do miracles, those who have the gift of healing, those who can help others, those who have the gift of leadership, and those who speak in unknown languages. We had, um, we've covered almost all of those. I'm going to just read one more passage from Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Now, there, is, is, there has been long-standing and widespread interpretive disagreement about exactly what Paul is talking about here. There's interpretive disagreement on whether the offices of prophet um, apostle and you know evangelist teacher whether the offices still remain um, and I just want to say to you I'm not even I don't, I'm not sure I would not want to be super dogmatic about this um, or or claim to know like I, often we're way too sure of ourselves when we think we have the right line on exactly how to interpret scripture I'm realizing I know way less than I think I do. And so I wouldn't want to be dogmatic, but there, there is some kind of fusion here, I think, of like these office-type realities, these structural capacities or callings within the body, and then the presence of gifts that are at work. If I was going to lean one way, I would lean toward the gifts way. I'm not sure that people should or... I'm not super comfortable when somebody introduces themselves to me and says, I'm apostle so-and-so. I'm not disparaging them or I'm not, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I just, like, who allowed, like, who's validating that in your life? Where do you get the authority to describe yourself that way? And there is a great, uh, I'm not, I don't want to enter into this, but there's a great debate on, like, what does apostling actually look like today? A lot of times when we talk about the word apostle, um, we're talking about a capacity, a visionary and stewardship capacity to launch ministries, to be responsible over networks of ministries and things like that. So I think... And this, again, I, this is just Andrew talking and just admitting, I don't, I don't want to say that I know the exact nuanced everything. I think that people can operate in an apostolic gifting, which gives them a gifting to be able to launch ministries, to oversee networks of ministry hubs and things like that. They're there are people who are leading groups of people in our interactions with Safari in Malawi. I think he, he carries an apostolic gifting because he's kind of been able to 
pull together and link together thousands and thousands of people through hundreds and hundreds of micro churches all throughout Malawi. And he's leading the leaders of those churches and helping to give structure and definition to what's going on there. I think that could be an apostolic anointing and gifting. But Safari doesn't introduce himself to you as Apostle Safari. In those churches, they call him a bishop. That would probably be a more accurate terminology. So there's a definition in Scripture um, that apostles were those who were directly selected by Jesus, had walked with Jesus and received from Jesus himself the ministry anointing and calling of an apostle. There were 12 of them, and then Paul is introduced into that. Now, having said that, again, this is why I'm not, I don't want to be dogmatic about this. There are other leaders within the New Testament that are referred to with the same language, apostolos in the Greek. So I don't know how to figure all of that out. I have a little bit of a definition for you, um, which is like, the, I think the last one, Wesley, on that, the last slide. So that word in the Greek, apostolos, means sent one. And actually, that terminology is not even a, a religious one. That's a secular cultural one. Somebody who's sent on behalf of the king or the leader or the ruler of that region, someone who's sent to bring the kingdom to bear in a new place. That's that word. So it was a common term before it became an office in the early church. The word meant messenger or envoy, someone sent to represent another. This term is used for an office as well as a gift. And again, like let's just be humble and gracious with that. In the broader sense, an apostle is one sent, commissioned, and therefore is not affixed to a particular location or church. So this is often what I see in people that I would say, hey, that person, maybe they have an apostolic gift because they're operating in kind of these larger networks and not necessarily doing what I do here. He or she is church-based. So here's another huge thing, huge red flag for me. If somebody describes themselves as an apostle, but they don't sit under the authority of someone in the local church, for me, I'm done. I, the kingdom is about submitting to authority, not just working around it because you feel that it's a limitation or a hindrance to you. So there are people that I have great respect for who I think carry an apostolic gift, but they submit to local authority and lead under them with the blessing of those churches and those organizations. The people who are kind of just running around all over the place and kind of wielding this sword of an apostle, but won't actually humble themselves and bring themselves under a consistent and long-term authority are people that I generally am very guarded with. So they're church-based, representing a particular church, but ministering largely in a field beyond. Such apostles are always essential to the life of a church. 
that realizes its call to reach out beyond itself in the mission of the gospel. That's from J. Rodman Williams. He wrote that back in the 70s, I think. Um, And uh, the debate is only intensified as to whether that is a legit term that we can use today. Again, I think there's grace for all of that. I would say that I think that there's an apostolic gifting um, of the Spirit, but it is a valid question to ask, how would one apostle, if they don't meet some of the criteria that comes with the first 12 and then Paul and some of the other ones who were had met with Jesus face to face and received commission from him directly. So what would that look like to apostle? I, I'm actually not sure other than what I've described in that gift. All right, next one I want to just talk about is a gift of teaching. Okay, and this again is listed in Ephesians 4. There's two concepts here that I want to introduce you to and um, we'll, we'll end with this. The classic kind of definition of this is a person who has the gift of teaching is one who has the supernatural ability to instruct, explain, or expose biblical truth in such a way as to cause believers to understand the biblical truth. That would be kind of standard. That's kind of our go-to definition, especially in our North American evangelical church. I think there are some major limitations with that. And again, I'm not speaking out of judgment, just out of my own processing. Like what really are like what really is going on with this gift? I am intrigued by what Jack Deere says about this in one of his more recent books called Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit. He has a whole chapter on the gift of teaching. It's, and he contends that it is not primarily the ability to explain the scriptures. Interesting. It's the supernatural empowerment to reveal the beauty of God and his kingdom in a way that leads people into a deeper friendship with God. What's really interesting in Jack's book is he walks into basically a scriptural analysis that differentiates Jesus and his gift of teaching from the scribes and religious leaders of his day. So when the New Testament calls, in the King James, they were called scribes. In some of our other translations, they're called religious leaders. They were the ones who not only copied scripture, but they were the ones most fervent about studying and upholding scripture. In Jesus' time, the, the, the Jewish kind of believers were faced with a bit of a conundrum because the Greco-Roman world had such a profound influence on how to think, on philosophy, on religious thought and practice. Now, what ended up happening is the religious leaders within Judaism adopted Greco-Roman ways to systematize thought and logic. This is where we get where we get exegetical concepts from. 
So the scribes and Pharisees around Jesus used an exegetical treatment of Scripture. We're going to pull the meaning out of Scripture, right? We're going to dissect it and evaluate it, and we're going to teach you how to order your life based on my exegetical explanation and interpretation. Jesus didn't teach that way. Do you know that Jesus never once commanded his disciples to go and teach Scripture in the traditional way we would think? Jesus immersed himself in Scripture, yes. But Jesus didn't sit down and say, we're going to do a verse-by-verse exegetical study through the book of Isaiah. Here we go. I'll give you all of my best opinions and thoughts and interpretive analysis of this. He didn't do that. Jesus revealed the majesty of the Father to people, and he lived Scripture. He didn't just talk about it. This is part of why he was at odds with the religious leaders of his day. They were furious with him because Jesus did things to their interpretive analysis of Scripture that fell outside of it. And so he challenges them and he says, you study the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life and yet you don't recognize me and I'm standing in front of you. I am the one the scripture speaks about. And you can't get over the wall, the exegetical interpretive wall you've built to see reality for what it actually is. And that's why those religious leaders were so, so, so opposed to Jesus. Again, I want to say this super carefully, but the Bible was never written to be studied on a microscopic verse-by-verse, word-by-word level. It was never the intent. The purpose of Scripture is to reveal God to you, not to make you worship Scripture itself. The purpose of Scripture is not to fill your head with knowledge and the ability to parse Greek verbs and, you know, understand Hebrew words and all of that. That's not the heart of Scripture. The heart of Scripture is to reveal God and His kingdom to you. And somewhere, some way, we've lost our way a little bit and we've turned into a talking church about Scripture and not a praying church which enters into the reality of God and his kingdom. Of course, the more I immerse myself in God's word, the more I love it. But I am filled more with a love for God and his kingdom, not just for words on a page. And these words have power, but there's a Logos word that's greater than the actual canon of scripture itself. My encouragement to you is to immerse your life in it. Allow Scripture to shape you. Allow it to test you and challenge you. Allow it to form the priorities of your life. And if we are in Scripture in the right ways, they'll always direct us back to greater intimacy with the Father. 
So Jesus' life, he had grown up as part of the, the system of Judaism he was a part of. He memorized vast swaths of what we would call the Old Testament. But do you know in the Gospels, we're never told of a time where Jesus sat down to study Scripture. He read it in the synagogue. We're never given a window into his private scriptural devotional life, but we are given windows over and over into his prayer life with the Father. For some of us, we've replaced intimacy and face-to-face -face with the Father for a stale reading of Scripture. For our whatever our chapters and verses are for the day, and we just kind of bang them out and we move on. You need to immerse your life in Scripture. I do. But the point of Scripture is to reveal the majesty of God, not to be a means and an end in and of itself. So we don't read the Scripture to know Scripture. We read it to know God. And some of us have you know, spent huge chunks of our life trying to memorize scripture so that we could say we memorized it. Some of the least godly people in character are the people who know the most scripture by memory. And you can memorize the whole book of Romans and be an angry, frustrated, upset individual and not carry the fruit of the kingdom of God. Yes, memorize scripture, memorize large portions of it. The question is not whether we memorize it, it's whether it's actually getting in and transforming the heart. And so we'll continue to teach scripture, we'll continue to invest our lives in it, but I think we need to reframe and reshape a little bit. Not totally, this is not a throw the baby out with the bathwater thing. We need to reframe a little bit our approach to Scripture. And the beauty of Scripture is that it opens up the reality of the kingdom. And it brings God into focus and reality in our lives. The more I immerse myself in it, the more majestic and beautiful God becomes. That's his heart for you as it relates to scripture. So I don't even know where I land on this spectrum in terms of my own, like, where, where would I fit on that? I'm supposed to be talking every week. Maybe I shouldn't be talking every week, but my heart is not just to teach you what I think you should think. My heart is as we enter into scripture together, to uncover the wonder and majesty. And as Peter says in 1 Peter 2, the excellencies of God and his kingdom. I think that's good teaching. I think that's the gift of teaching at work is it exposes us to the reality of God and his kingdom. We're gonna cover the last few gifts next week. And then we're gonna try something. We're gonna take a little risk. Some of you are going to be super annoyed at this, and um, I'm sorry, not sorry, I guess, at the same time. Um, some of you are going to be super excited because you were planning to do this anyway, which is all good. 
As a church, we've been in a very heavy ministry season. Um, our volunteers have week after week and our staff have. And we actually um, just feel called to take a Sabbath Sunday. So August 6th, we will have no church Sunday morning. And that is a time for our volunteers who like literally are giving nonstop every week to have a rest. It's a chance for our worship teams and kids ministry teams and whatever just to have uh, rest. And this is something God is challenging us with. We've had some great healthy debate back and forth as to whether that's okay to do in the life of the church. But we're going to have a Sabbath Sunday on August 6th. Most of you are probably planning on being somewhere in a tent or camping or doing something else anyway. But um, we, we just feel God challenging us. This is actually part of our discipleship to release control and trust and our own ways of like mechanizing the kingdom and just, to, just say, okay, God, we're just going to rest. We're not planning to give you um, online teaching that day. You all watch like 10 other pastors anyway. I know the truth. Even if you won't admit it, I know it's true. So you could watch one of your favorite churches um, that morning and do whatever you want to do. But the heart of that is, would you actually just rest? And there's something uh, we need to critique our culture of always being busy for Jesus, but not walking in intimacy with him. And so that's coming up on August 6th. We'll be back the following few weeks um, of the summer, and, uh, and we'll just see where things go from there. I also just want to challenge you, just as we're leaving, um, some of the practical ways that we're calling each other to be counterformed are super practical, and one of them is just through generosity. And we don't take an offering in the traditional sense here. We, don't, we rarely ever even talk about it. But one of the things we feel strongly about is that in order to, to be counterformed from our culture, we have to do intentional things that are counterformational. And living in generosity is one of those, especially in a culture that tells you to get, get, get everything you can possess and amass and gather together around you. The kingdom is about giving and faith and trust. And so we want to just encourage you in that. The scriptural kind of baseline for that is 10%. That's the baseline for it. And I want to challenge you. One of the ways that you and I can be counterformed in the kingdom is to practice generosity and giving. If you want to do that today, I would love for you to do that. You can do that out in the lobby after, or you can go on our website and do those kinds of things. So let's stand together and um, I'll just pray for us as we leave. Jesus, um, thank you for your faithfulness. Father, I pray that you would continue the ministry of your spirit just in the hearts and in the souls of those who are just walking through heavy waters right now. Would you just meet them? Would you meet them with your sufficiency and supply of compassion and mercy, of goodness and of grace? We ask that you would teach us as a gathering of followers of Jesus. Would you teach us how to walk in greater measures of the kingdom's presence in our life? 
Would you call us deeper into things like scripture, but deeper into prayer and giving our attention to Jesus in a world that wants to gain every millisecond of our attention? Would you challenge us to redirect the attention of our lives onto the heart and the person of Jesus, onto the Father in the same way that Jesus did? Father, for those who need healing today and restoration, we ask for your mercy. Would you heal and restore? For those who need encouragement, Father, would you send people with the gift and the capacity to supernaturally encourage and walk alongside? We love you, Jesus. We give our lives to you. Amen. Okay, like I said, there are some things I want to clarify as it relates to the gift of teaching and some of the comments I made on scripture, on these scriptures. And uh, first of all, I just want to doubly and triply and quadruply affirm for those of you who are like, where are you going with this, Andrew? I want to affirm that I believe full-heartedly in the authority of scripture. I believe that in scripture, we have everything we need for life and godliness. We have everything we need to know God, to understand uh, our need for him, sin, the need for redemption, everything we need to know in order to follow him and live a godly life, we can find in scripture. I believe that scripture is authoritative and I believe that it is meant to be read and meditated on. I believe it's meant to be studied and I believe there is a place for exegetical study of it. I believe there is a place for that kind of teaching. Absolutely, I want to affirm those things. What I want to challenge is that that is become the totality of what it means to approach scripture that be, has become almost the totality of what it means to carry the gift of teaching, your ability to supernaturally, maybe even uh, in a supernaturally infused way to teach people um, from an expository standpoint and have the light bulbs go on so that they understand scripture more. And again, I'm not saying that that's, there's anything wrong inherently with that, but I think that there is a valid point that Jack Deere is making in his book. I think it's why I'm still surprised by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think that's what it is. In his chapter on the gift of teaching, I think without maybe being intentional, so much of the preaching and teaching in our churches right now is directed to teach people to know scripture, not necessarily to bring them a revelation of the beauty and majesty of God. So we want people to know scripture, but we aren't necessarily unpacking scripture in a way that makes God beautiful and understandable to them. 
And like I mentioned in the course of this message, the point of scripture is just not that you memorize and know it. Of course, those are uh, right and good things. The point of scripture is to reveal God. It's to reveal the majesty and beauty and purpose and plan of God for humanity and to set ourselves within that storyline so that we can understand his purpose and call on our lives, that we can understand the reality of brokenness and sin and all of these things. But the purpose of biblical teaching, I don't think we should say is exclusively so that someone knows how to properly exegete and interpret scripture based on our our little sliver of the body of Christ and how we view the Bible. So I wonder if there is something to be said about the spiritual gift of teaching, not just being the capacity to explain things in a way that people get it, even if that's done with supernatural assistance, but it's the capacity to unlock the majesty of God and draw people into the presence and power and beauty of God to make him real, to allow him to come alive in people's lives. And again, like I said during the message, I love scripture. I'm immersing myself in it every day. But I'm learning to not see it as this mechanical textbook, but as the revelation of the majesty and beauty of God himself. I'm learning to love scripture because it's actually allowing me to uh, develop a vision of God that is beautiful. It's, It's growing and expanding my capacity to know him and to love him. And we should be in scripture and reading scripture because we are in love with God, not because it's just the religious and proper thing to do, or not because we wanna just know how to intellectually or apologetically defend it. Again, there's nothing wrong with those things. I just wanna challenge you with um, this concept of what this gift of teaching is. Maybe it's more than people who are super quote unquote anointed or gifted to teach interpretation of scripture. Maybe it's more the people who when um, they are teaching the reality of the beauty and majesty and excellencies of God come bursting forth, people encounter the reality of God in a more profound and experiential and significant way than just simply logging more information that we can then somehow try to compartmentalize and access intellectually in our brain. And so I just wanted to explain a little bit more of that. Maybe this doesn't even help you or suffice. That's okay. I want to challenge you to wrestle with um, not only this gift of teaching and what it means, but also how you relate to scripture in your own life. 
See you next week.